today's reading is from Luke 2, 1 through 21. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace on those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Steph. Merry Christmas, everybody. There's a show I love that was on Discovery Channel for about 14 seasons called Mythbusters. Anybody like Mythbusters? Mythbusters takes commonly held beliefs and tries to see if they're really true or, or, or they're myth. Uh, some of my favorite through the years, and kids, you'll really appreciate this knowledge as you make your way through life. You cannot sink in sinking sand in quicksand. Like, it's just too thick. So you're good. If you, get, you might get stuck, but you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not gonna sink. It's totally okay. So quicksand's one. One is if you drop a penny off the top of the uh, Empire State Building, it will not kill anybody. Whew! I used to take teenagers every year as a youth pastor in New York City. They'd, we'd go up to the top, they'd try that. I'd be like, don't throw things off the Empire State Building. Uh, you cannot slip on a banana peel. I mean, if you're really clumsy, you probably can. But just as it goes, you're not gonna just fall over if you hit a banana peel. A couple ones from cartoons, kids. You may see this, so don't try this at home. But the old one, somebody sticks their finger in the end of the shotgun and it blows up backwards, they busted that. Doesn't work. And you cannot catch a bullet in your teeth. So don't try that. They actually, they actually tested these. I mean, this common sense. But this was my favorite because I'm a big fan of this series. All of the stunts in the Indiana Jones movies, good, you can do them. Like, don't try them, but you can do them. So, uh, and then for romantic folks, if you're a romance fan, uh, you know the scene at the end of Titanic, if you kind of, with Jack and Rose, Jack could have fit on the door. 
Isn't that kind of depressing? James Cameron disputes that, but they actually proved it on Mythbusters. Jack could have still been with us. So that just changes the whole complexion of things. Um, this is my one that they busted that I hate the most because I always use it, and my wife just told me that I'm, I'm not right. I have to admit that she's right, and I hate that. But the five-second rule is not true. So it's, you drop it on the floor, it's got the germs all over it. One second, five second, 10 seconds. And then the final one, you know the old, old thing like when somebody's going crazy and you're like, hey, you're like a bull in a china shop? They tested that. They put bulls in a china shop and they just stood there and stared at them. Not true. So uh, a couple holiday Mythbusters. Again, kids, take notes. You'll have to help your, your parents with this. Uh, they had a special holiday Mythbusters. And you know how you're always, I'm doing this in real time, trying to put certain things in the water of your Christmas tree so the needles stay on? So people have all kind of like myths about that. And they they busted it, but fertilizer doesn't work. Just don't even put it in there. Uh, Lemon lime soda, people, there was, you know, that doesn't work. Bleach, can you believe that? People thought bleach worked, that kills your tree. Don't do that. And then pain reliever, that didn't work. Your tree does not have a headache. There's one thing that they've proved that works. You ready for this? Hairspray. If you put hairspray, but then that makes the water flammable, so kids don't do that. All right, Uh, they also busted the myth that the the, the ambient light of your your Christmas tree lights will set the tree on fire. That's not good. And then this is really important. We didn't quite have enough snow to build a snowman, but maybe we'll get it sometime this winter, or you go up on the mountain. If you build a snowman, a snowman or snow person with clothes on melts slower. So put some clothes on your snow people already, all right? All right, I'm here to help. All right, so we're gonna do a special uh, Christmas uh, Mythbuster Nativity Edition. You guys ready for that? I don't, I don't feel the energy, I need energy. All right, so thank you, thank you, kids. If you'll elbow your parents or uh, your brothers or sisters if they're falling asleep. All right, so here we go. Here's our New Hope Nativity set. So there's, how many of you guys have a nativity Scene or set of some kind. Just kind of raise your hand. Just yep, a lot of you. All right. Um, let me let me get the. I got to get the pieces right here. We have the the wise people. We'll put the angel over there. This is the New Hope one. It's kind of falling apart. Please give to New Hope. All right. There we go. Um, just kidding. All right. There's the wise people men over there. We got. Uh, okay. All right. So nativity sets. The first one was like 350 A.D. They found in the catacombs of Saint uh, Valentine. Uh, Valentine's Day. And then uh, the first live one, have you ever seen a live nativity scene? That was St. Francis of Assisi in like 1223. Uh, There's a Czech stocking weaver. He handmade 1,385 uh, little pieces and it took him like 30 years. So that's pretty interesting. Let's see, we got a donkey. What do we got here? We got another wise person. We got to have Joseph. How's it looking? Is it looking all right out there? All right, we're almost done. We got another shepherd. Uh, this is Mary. That's important. All right. How we look? All right. There's the new up. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna bust some mess. This lady uh, holds a record. Uh, oh, we lost the star. That's not good. This lady in America holds the record for most nativity sets. She has over 200. So uh, yeah, don't do that. All right. So here we go. So we're gonna do a MythBuster nativity edition. Through the years, as people, I think, good intentions they kind of just kept adding to nativity scenes. And it kind of got to be a competitive thing. So thus, our modern equivalent, something like this you probably have in your home. We have a couple. Uh, growing up, Joseph didn't have a nose. I remember that at ours, poor guy. So uh, we're gonna bust some myths. All right, so one of them goes back to the passage we just read. Two myths come from one verse. Uh, there's four gospels in your Bibles, and that's eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. Two of the gospels, Mark and John, do not have a classic Christmas story. 
Matthew deals with the Christmas story, and then Luke, which we heard, he's the historian. He deals in explicit detail on the Christmas story. So let's look at Luke uh, 2.7, and we're going to look at our first myth that there was no room for Jesus in the inn. How many of you have heard that through the years? All right, here's Luke 2.7. Pay attention, kids. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So we grew up saying there was no room for Jesus in the inn. Have you heard that? How many people have heard that before? All right, so let's try to bust that myth. Here's the deal. So so kids, the the New Testament was written in a language called Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew. We'll get to the Hebrew later. And this is important because sometimes in translations we miss the meaning. It, the Greek word in Luke 2, 7 for inn is not the inn like we refer to like holiday inn. If you're familiar with Luke later, there's this parable called the Good Samaritan where he fixes him up and he sends him to the inn. Luke uses that word there, but he doesn't use it in Luke 2, 7. And here's what's going on. So Mary and Joseph, they're called to Bethlehem for a census. Very small little village, maybe a couple hundred people. That's where Joseph is from. And his family's from there, so he had family connections. So they roll in, Mary's very pregnant, and they would go to a family member's house, so probably middle-class family, and they would typically have a guest room. Well, here's the deal. Joseph and Mary got there late. They're moving slow. Mary's pregnant. They've already got aunts and uncles and cousins. Have you been there before? You're the last family member to arrive, and you get, like, the living room with the blow-up mattress. That's what's happening, The NIV, if you use that translation, has actually changed it, which says there's no room for them in the guest room. So first myth busted. What we're doing here is we're redeeming innkeepers everywhere, all over the world. You're welcome. All right. Second myth kind of comes from the same verse, that Jesus was born in a stable. We go back to Luke, and Luke says that he was born in a manger, and that Greek word is like a feeding trough. That's exactly what it means. So we're like, well, of course... If he's born in a feeding trough, he's out in the middle of a field somewhere in a stable, and wherever we see manger scenes and nativity scenes, they're always set on the side of a hill. And that's not true, and we're going to bust this myth. We can do that by looking at the layout. We know this through archaeologists. This is the common house for like a middle-class family, first century Bethlehem. They would typically have two floors. Upstairs would be the living and sleeping quarters, and then they would live downstairs and then kind of to the side, there would be an area. There's, there's a real replica of a house they found. See, kind of that outside area was where they would have the most vulnerable animals, just a few of them. And they would have the manger kind of between the living area and that little outside area that's connected to the house. So Jesus was not born out in a field somewhere in like an old barn or stable. He was born in a home, in a family home. So again, no room for them. So Mary's like, it's coming, it's, it's game time, it's happening right now. So they're all rushing, the whole family, and they're like, clear out the animals, get this area set up, let's do it here. This is the most space we have. So we can remove this. Okay, we're gonna start to remove things here. So this is not true. Kids, you can do this home tonight with your, with your nativity scene. All right, so that's, an, that's another uh, myth that's busted. So we're, we're busting myths as we go here. There was animals surrounding Jesus when he was uh, in the place that he was born. Now you would say, John, you just told us that's where the animals say, well, these are not ignorant people. If a woman's about to give birth, you don't let the livestock just continue to wander around. Ladies, can you imagine that? 
right? They put them over with a neighbor or put them out to a field or tied them to a post. And we, always, we, we think that, you know, away in a manger, the cattle were, were lowing or mooing. Like there was cows just right there. That's what paintings tell us. They're just animals like, check it out, Jesus, just right there. And that's ludicrous when you think about it. And no first century Palestinian families kind of had cattle anyway. So we could remove the cattle. And then we think about, well, of course, the shepherds would have brought their sheep with them, but the shepherds didn't bring their whole herd. Why would they have done? They had like the junior shepherd apprentice program. You know, so they left them with the junior shepherds and the main ones went, but they didn't bring the sheep with them, right? And then the shepherds, like we can remove them as well. Cause can you imagine ladies, if, you're, if you've just given birth and suddenly like these dirty men that you don't know are just right over you, like, is that him? You know? so, so we can remove uh, some of the animals here. We can remove the donkey cause we're, we're kind of told that, that, you know, Jesus, that Mary rode a donkey. Well, it was 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Women who have been pregnant, nine months pregnant. Can you imagine riding an animal 90 miles? So Mary was probably on a cart. This was a thing back then, on a cart, and it was, it was pulled by horses, and they kind of rented. It was that kind of thing. So there's no donkey, no sheep, just helmet. Definitely no cattle. We could do that. All right, so we busted that myth. So we're, we're, we're continuing on here. Uh, our fourth myth is that there were three wise men or magi is, is what some of your Bibles might say. Uh, these guys here, we need to put their camel over here with them. Sorry about that. All right, so we're told in Matthew that these guys came, but almost every scholar that knows the Bible says they came much later, maybe a year or two later. So we read that story later in Matthew. They came, but they likely found Jesus in an entirely different house. And there were not, we don't know that there was three of them. We know there was three what? Gifts. But there could have been 14 of them or 10 or eight or seven. I don't know what kind of group they traveled in. So they weren't there at the time. So we can get rid of these guys, right? All right. So we're just busting myths here, destroying dreams. Merry Christmas. Uh, There is a star over the house. This is kind of an easy one. We're told, Matthew tells us, uh, the, the wise men were, were kind of advisors to the king of Persia. They were scholars, they were astrologers. They studied the stars. So they saw this celestial body, that is true. And it led them, we're told, to Jerusalem. And then it led them to Bethlehem. But what kind of star, right? We're not talking like, you know, fantasy world, Hollywood. The star's like way up in the sky, right? And all of our manger scenes have it like right there. And that's just not a thing. All right, so we can remove the star. Bust that myth, get rid of that. All right, and then uh, finally, there were angels singing over baby Jesus. We just sang uh, angels we've heard on high, right? Well, that's not true, sorry. (laughs) I should have told Seth to pull that song. Um, It's a great song. But one, we're told that, that Luke tells us the angels spoke. Now, they could have sang, but we have, every scene we have with paintings out there, we have them with trumpets. I don't know why they have trumpets and they're singing. We're just told that they showed up and they spoke. But they were in the Bethlehem Shepherd's Field. My wife and I, we got to go to the, uh, Israel this past year and I think there'll be a picture of the Shepherd's Field. You can see it's outside of Bethlehem. So the angels appeared there, they spoke. Now there may have been angels there, but no gospel writer tells there were visible angels. So we can remove that. All right, so we're busting myths. Here we go. I think that was the last one. Uh, here's a couple. You want a couple freebies? Just kind of Christmas MythBuster freebies, just around the dinner table. One Christmas, uh, Jesus was not born on December 25th. 
You smart people, you probably know that, right? So they think like the spring or the fall, the early Christians, the early church chose that date because that was the birthday of the sun god and they, be, they were like, the sun god's nothing. You know, we have the real god. So they chose December 25th. And then uh, there's this myth out there that I hear a lot from Christians that when you say uh, happy or Merry Xmas or happy holidays, that you're taking the Jesus out of Christmas. You guys hear that? Maybe you've said that before. Well, the first letter in the Greek of the word Christ, and that word Christ means Messiah or the anointed one. It's not Jesus' last name. The first letter is an X. So that's just shorthand, all right? It's totally cool, Christians. And then happy holidays, think of that second word. It's holy days. So it's kind of a cool covert way without freaking people out of saying, Joe, happy holidays, right? You're saying, this is a holy day. This is a really, really special day. So it's totally fine to say that. And then I've been telling our church here all Advent season, Christmas starts tomorrow, right? But it's not just one day. New Hopers, how many days is it? Yes, so you cannot take down your trees until January 5th put hairspray in the water. Um, no, just don't. Is that on film? Don't, don't do that, kids. That's a bad, bad thing. All right, here's what I'm trying to do. Um, and, you know, as important as Mary and Joseph are, you know, Joseph, poor guy, he disappears really quickly. We think he died. Poor Joseph. All right, he played an important role. He's in there. All right, and then Mary, obviously she's really important, the mother of God, but she's just intermittently in the Gospels from here on out. She becomes a follower of her son. She's there at the cross and the resurrection, but she doesn't play a major role, so see you, Mary. All right, here's what we're trying to do. You're smart people, and kids, you're really smart. We're trying to remember, and kids, here's a confession. Us adults, we lose our focus a lot. We've got our phones now and all our gadgets, and we probably don't pay attention to you a lot, and sorry about that. We lose our focus, and we lose our focus at Christmas. I love Christmas. I love, last thing I want is for you to hear nativity scenes are terrible and sets and you go home and you're trash it. Don't do that, right? We've got three of them. I love them. They connote the story. There's a good heart behind them. It's fine. But here's the story. Here's the story. And here's what I want you to get. It's a very simple point this afternoon. Uh, Christmas without the Christ, Jesus, is meaningless, only Christmas with Christ at the center is truly Christmas. And you know why we like Mythbusters is because we, we don't wanna be wrong, do we? Do we really wanna believe things that aren't true? I don't. So humble people, wise people, smart people want to learn the truth. If they're wrong, they wanna know what's true. I wanna know what's true. So to know what's true about the Christmas story and what's not and what's mythological is really important. And I hope you walk away tonight knowing what's true. And this, this right here is truly Christmas. Only Christmas with Christ at the center is truly Christmas. That's the truth that I want you to hear tonight. You know who got this is Charles Scholes. He was the creator of, of Peanuts. Um, I have fa many favorite Christmas movies, but one of my favorite kind of tender ones that I like to watch is the Charlie Brown Christmas. Anybody else, kids, you like that? Anybody else? Yeah, I love it. If you haven't seen it, go home and watch it tonight maybe. It's really simple. It came out in like 1960s, critically acclaimed, really popular. It shows on, on TV almost every single year. And the plot is Charlie Brown's kind of grumpy, 
He's, he's down in, in, in you know, he's kind of depressed and he goes to Lukey's psychiatric booth. You know, she's kind of this faux, faux psychiatrist. And she's like, you ought to direct the, the Christmas play. And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. And then it just gets worse. Like Snoopy's into the commercialism of decorating his doghouse for the competition. And, you know, Lucy's writing about greedy notes to Santa. And he's just getting more and more depressed. Nobody's getting on board. And he's like, I need a centerpiece for this. And Lucy's like, we should go get an aluminum kind of pink Christmas tree. He's like, no. And he goes to the lot and poor Charlie Brown, right? There's only one tree left, the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. So he gets it and he's like, hey, this is gonna be the thing. This is gonna be the center point because we have one of these at our house. I love it. And so he comes back and they make fun of him. And, and then he, you know, he gets really frustrated, Charlie Brown. He's like, does anybody know the meaning of Christmas? And then Linus kind of saunters on stage. He's like, I do. And then what does he read? Do you guys remember, kids? He reads what Stephanie read earlier. It's like, this is the real, and then everybody gets really quiet. And they remember all the things they're chasing, all the acronyms they put around Jesus, all the extra stuff. It isn't bad, it isn't inherently bad, but it steals from the real heart of Christmas. They remember, and then they, they sing, Hark the Herald, Angels Sings. It's really, years later, Charles Scholes uh, re- recounted in an interview, he said, I was getting heavy, heavy heat not to put that in there. This is 1960, only 10% of all Christmas shows and specials on TV in 1960 had anything to say about Jesus. He was getting heavy heat, and he literally, he pulled his his power card because he had a lot of power. He goes, if we won't do it, who will? If we won't do it, who will? We've been in an Advent series called The Advent Story, and I kicked off that series by kind of telling the story of the Bible and I use trees. Some of you may remember that message, and our friends of the Bible Project have done a lot of good work on this. So kids, just because a lot of you probably didn't hear that, you're back in kids' ministry. Let me just really quickly recap the story a little bit, and then we'll, we'll talk about where, where this guy fits in. So in the garden, the, Bible, the biblical story starts in the garden, and we have two trees. We have the tree of life, and that is the essence of God's life. That's the idea that you and I cannot exist. We cannot live without God's life. And God said you can eat freely from it. So the humans did. And then he said, but there's this other tree, and it's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. You cannot touch that. And that's God's way of saying, this is my terrain. Only I, as God, can determine what's good and evil. And kids, what do you think they did? They ate from it. I would have done the same thing. With all due respect, you would have done the same thing. They wanted to play God. Kids, this would be like on the way home tonight, if you told your parents, let me drive the car. It looks icy out there. I got this. Right? It's ludicrous, right? But that's what the humans did. That's what we all do all the time. We try to play God. And it broke them. And it broke the relationship with God. And it broke the relationship with one another. And it broke the relationship for the, with the world. But before God kicked them out of the garden, out of love, he said, I promise I'm going to send a promised seed, is what he said. A promised seed. A person who will sprout a new tree of life to rejuvenate and make everything wrong right again. So all through the Old Testament, we have these prophets talking about the promised seed, where the promised seed is gonna be born, what family is gonna come from, even kind of the time frame, things the promised seed is gonna do and say, and they're using tree language a lot in the Old Testament. And then the writers of the gospels, you open them up, and we're told by the gospel writers that God implants the promised seed in Mary's womb. He's there. And these characters are like, it's true, the prophet, that's what the, the shepherd's like, it's, it's happened finally after all these years, the promised seed is here. Let's read Luke 2 again, and I want you to think about this promised seed language. I want you to think about these men and women that have been waiting for so, so long, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. That's where the promised seed is supposed to come from. A savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah or the Christ, the Lord. 
This will be a sign and you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger and suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. When you watch a Charlie Brown Christmas tree, right at that moment, watch this detail, right at that moment that Linus says the word, he drops his blanket. And his blanket is his pacifier. It's his like, like I've never seen a world, I'm including my own heart here, that's more scared and more anxious. Report after report, and that's, that's all of us, I think. That's Linus, right? He's holding that blanket. When he hears that the promised seed has finally come, he can drop his blanket. 365 times the Bible says, do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. I love that about the story. But of course, baby Jesus did not stay baby Jesus. I love that scene uh, from Talladega Nights where Will Ferrell's praying to baby Jesus. You guys know that scene? Kids, don't watch that movie. Anyway, baby Jesus, baby Jesus grows up. We don't have to pray to baby Jesus, as nice as it is. He grows up big and strong, and baby Jesus realizes who he is, that he literally, Matthew says to to Mary, name him Jesus, because that means God saves. He told Joseph, name him Jesus, because God will save you and Mary and everyone from their sins. Call him Emmanuel, because that means God in the flesh. And that is the, the huge truth of Easter, that the baby was God himself, because only God could come here and be the new tree of life. To set everything wrong, right again, only God could. So the baby grew, and Jesus realized who he is, and Jesus lived in it. Jesus called himself the tree of life. Jesus called himself the new tree and the promised seed, but Jesus knew, and Jesus said this with his own words, that a seed must go into the ground and die before it can bring new life. And baby Jesus grew strong and big and the baby Jesus went to the cross, a tree of death, to once again give us all free access to tree of life, me and you and everyone. It was the only way. But the tree of life went into the ground, did not stay there, but rose again. And we'll celebrate that at Easter and offers life and light to all who look to him. That is the story. Of, of Christmas. John, he, he doesn't have the classic Christmas scene, but he kind of has a theological one, kind of a higher view, and he says this, God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love this verse. And we're about to light our candles so we can really live into this verse. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What's true about Christmas kids and adults? This, this. Uh, Christmas without Christ is meaningless. It just is. Maybe nice, it's meaningless. But Christmas with Christ at the center is truly, truly, truly Christmas. My daughter Jubilee, she's 12, and uh, she's been in a, in a dual language program since she was in kindergarten, so she's fluent in Spanish. And we were reading a Christmas story a couple weeks ago on her bed, and she just kind of turned to me. She had this quizzical look on her face. She's like, Dad, do you know what Christmas means? I was like, I mean, I can give it a go, but what do you think that it means? <laughs> yeah. And she goes, well, dad, and she got that kind of, you know, pro- professor look on her face. She's like, well, dad, in Spanish, because I don't know Spanish, she says, mas means more. So Christmas dad means more Christ. And I was like, <laughs> you know, tender moment. Yes, like, can you preach next Sunday? That's brilliant, you know? So, I mean, that's kids. That's what, what is Christmas that we need more Jesus? More Jesus. Because that's, that's, that's what it's about. Yeah. Kids, if you have a nativity scene at home, okay, I want to give you permission. You can kind of, you want to do a prank, a really cool prank on your family tonight? Yeah. Everybody's like, it has nothing to do with hairspray. Don't worry. So 
go to your nativity scene sometime tonight, make sure your parents don't see, and take the baby Jesus, right, and put it under the tree. Because tomorrow, when you're ripping into gifts, and I will be, and that's wonderful to give each other gifts. So beautiful. But there's no greater gift than this. If your family forgets kids, you can remind them. If you don't have a nativity scene, go home tonight and just draw one. It's a really simple thing. Then cut it out and just put it there for your family to find in the morning. Here's the deal with gifts, and I think we all know this. Uh, all gifts are free, and so is the gift of Jesus and the life that he offers all of us through his death on the cross and his resurrection. It's free. You don't have to do a thing. Do you hear that? You don't have to do a thing. You don't have to do a thing except receive it. That's it. I, I promised a little Hebrew at the end here. So the Hebrew word for hope that we use for hope is the word in New Hopers we taught, we learned this a couple weeks ago, is remember it? Kava. Kava. That's the Hebrew word. It also means weight. The root of that word is kav. Kids, you're learning Hebrew. How cool is this? Kav is the word for rope. And the idea of hope is, and every single person in this room tonight is hoping in something or someone. You just are. You could have been dragged here, but you're hoping in something or someone. It may be you. It may be a romantic interest. It may be a family member. It may be a career or a job or some trip you want to do or some possession you want to have or amount of weight you want to lose. We're all hoping in something. And that's the nature of hope. We cannot as humans not hope. And it's a rope. You're tied to that thing you're hoping in. What are you hoping in tonight? What are you hoping? Is it worth putting your hope in? I promise you this, and you'll have to trust me. I promise you this. If you put your hope in Jesus, he will never disappoint you. Can I get an amen? amen? That's what Christmas is about. Attach your rope to him. I like to say it, New Hope here, if you're a guest, the way I just have come to say it over time is uh, we're just challenging you to look to Jesus and hold on to him for dear life. That's it. Just hold on to him for dear life. Because in him is life and light. Amen? amen? All right, let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks for the kids. We're remarkably well-behaved. Well done, kids. And uh, I just praise you for that. I thank you for the youthfulness in the room, for their passion and their spirit, God. May you penetrate their hearts and minds. May they know truth, and may that truth set them free. And God, us adults, we've kind of gotten hard hearts, some of us, and we've built up barriers in our minds, and we've become like Adam and Eve in the garden trying to play God and break us from that, God. I just pray that humbly and lovingly. May we repent or just turn the other way is what that word means. May we stop that, because that's not gonna lead to life. That'll lead to death. And I pray this will be a turning point right now uh, for the folks in the room, God, that are looking to things and they're, they're tethering their lives to things that will always disappoint. May not disappoint for a while, but they will inevitably disappoint. May we use this Christmas, the start of the new year in the Christmas in the church calendar, may we use it as a place to put our hope in you and look to you for life because the work you did on the cross is enough to make us right with God, right with one another, and right with the world. We can be restored to the garden relationships of peace and shalom this Christmas. Holy Spirit, do that work in our minds and our hearts right now. We love you. May we not forget that image of, of just the baby Jesus there. And maybe as we wake up, maybe that baby Jesus will be under our tree. And we'll remember, despite all the incredible things and beautiful things about Christmas, that Christmas without Christ in the center is not truly Christmas. Christmas with Christ in the center is truly Christmas. Entrench that in our hearts and our minds, Jesus. We love you and we praise you. And all God's people say, amen.